This is the QTR Podcast. How the hell is everybody? Today is August 16th, 2023. I am happy you're here with me. First and foremost, I want to shout out my sponsors, my patrons, the people that keep me motivated. And by motivated, I mean eager to collect sponsorship money for the privilege of offering up my diary of the mouth, which also serves as therapy for me. It's That's called a win-win-win situation for me and a lose for everybody else involved. But <laughs> now that I have obligatorily berated the sponsors, I do want to thank them. First and foremost, my kind friends over at JM Bullion, the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion. I love JM Bullion. They have been in business nearly a decade now. They've done over $7 billion in sales. They have incredible inventory. They have miniature markups over spot. As far as the major gold and silver dealers are, JM Bullion has very competitive premiums. They ship and turn around my orders very quickly. Their product always arrives discreetly. They are a trustworthy name in the bullion business to do business with. And I got to tell you, with the world going up in flames behind us all, as it has been since the beginning of this podcast, there's never been a better time to own gold or silver bullion. This is not financial advice. I'm just saying that's personally how I feel. That's my personal thoughts. My opinion only. Past performance is not indicative of future results. But if you agree, you may want to check out, uh, send an email. Send an email to Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. You know why? Because I've had enough phone menus and I've had enough non-personalized service. JM Bullion said to me, we want there to be a point of contact for your listeners. So you can have them email Laura directly, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. She would be happy to answer their questions, help them out, address any of their needs as customers. Um, So get in touch with Laura. Give her a shout. Tell her the Q-Man sent you. And uh, buy some gold and silver bullion so you can sit back, kick it, and enjoy the rest of the world sipping a cup of whiskey with me instead of panicking about whatever, you know, SPY ETFs you own. Okay. This podcast also brought to you by my dear friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George will be coming on the podcast again soon. I just messaged him again today. George has teamed up with Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh and Brent Johnson and all of us here at Enderby and Friends to help you preserve your wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks. George knows the system better than I do, which is why I want to have him on the podcast specifically to talk about some recent developments in the global economy where he has uh, professionally and kindly corrected me in the public forum, formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. It doesn't matter. It is a uh, humiliating defeat for me that I am happy to take because I respect George more than I respect myself. So there's that. (laughs) I love Rebel Capitalist Pro. You can check it out. The link is in the podcast description. You get access to incredible live Q&A, Uh, awesome forums where people toss around investing ideas and thoughts on macro. You get access to people like Lynn Alden, who I just happen to think is a genius, uh, and access to her investment newsletters, tons of premium content. If you are an investor with a focus of any type on macro, you need to know Rebel Capitalist Pro. Check out George Gammon. Finally, this podcast brought to you by my friends over at Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus at a little place called The Steam Room. What is The Steam Room, you might ask? The Steam Room was the original gangster of software when it came to tracking unusual options activity. Before every service and everybody in history was doing that, before it was on CNBC every day, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus were blazing the trail 
in using tracking options activity to see what the market was going to do. Uh, and they were doing it before anybody else, which means they know it better than anybody else, in my opinion. Lucci, Gammon, Bullion, all high-quality, honest people to do business with that I would personally stand behind, not just as business people, but as human beings. And with Lucci, if you are an active trader, you got to get a trial of the Steam Room. Get over there. Get involved with the community that he has built Check out the software. See if it does something for you on a daily basis. If you like it, I'm sure Lucci would be happy to hook you up in some way. If you don't like it, I'm sure he'd be happy to just give you a free trial run. If you tell him QTR sent you over there, I know Lucci will work with you because, uh, well, let's just say I know a lot of things about Lucci and I'm going to hold them all over his head unless he helps out my podcast listener. So that's called advertisement by blackmail. <laughs> give my listeners whatever they want. Or else I'll tell everybody the same story about you passed out in the back of a taxi cab in Las Vegas that I've done 10,000 times before. <laughs> Lucci's my brother, man. Love the dude. Check him out. Check out all my sponsors. Let's get on with it today, though. What are we talking about today? Holy shit, do I have some things I need to get off my mind. Let's start, <clears throat> okay, with the giant elephant in the room that everybody involved in the financial industry wants to pretend isn't there. And there's a couple of those. One is this notion that we're going to have a soft landing. We'll talk about that. But the other is the downgrade from Fitch of the U.S.'s long-term debt that occurred between the last podcast and the one you're listening to now. And while I have written about this on my blog, uh, my Substack Fringe Finance, which you can check out. The link is in the podcast description. While I've written about it there, I haven't had the opportunity to speak too much about it, so we're going to do that real quick. And I want to say this up front. A lot of people, myself included, gave the rating agencies a lot of shit for missing, you know, what's the big thing that people take exception with? They missed the housing crisis. I mean, it wasn't just the Federal Reserve and the numbskulls in our government and at the Fed that missed it, but the ratings agencies also missed it. That's that scene in The Big Short where Steve Carell, who's playing Mark Baum, who's based on Steve Eisman uh, in real life, walks into S&P's office and calls them whores, you know, rating agency whores, I think, because they were not, they were refusing to downgrade bonds and CDOs or whatever they were that were seriously distressed at that point. And so the ratings agencies got a lot of shit. On a side note, I, Steve Eisman, who's the guy that that character was based on, uh, I, I just want to play you one of my favorites from him, which is him on a Genworth financial call where he just lays into management from, I forget what year this is from. This is from, I think, like 20, I don't know, I'm guess 2010 or sometime around there. But uh, he just lays into management. Let me find it. I'm going to play it real quick. Okay, I found it. This is... <laughs> This is him laying into Genworth Financial's management, uh, third quarter 2010. And this is Steve Eisman, who's, who the character Mark Baum from The Big Short was based on, the guy played by Steve Carell. Here he is on the Genworth Financial phone call, uh, earnings call. Yeah, hi. Um, I think it's pretty clear this was a very poor quarter, but there are larger issues here that I think you need to address. Frankly, the only accomplishment that this management team can truly point to 
is the survival of this company, which I don't mean to minimize, but otherwise, this management team has overseen a massive destruction of shareholder value. In fact, at the current price to book, Genworth is selling at a steep discount to both Magic and PMI, the pure play MIs. And this is probably because this company does not meet its cost of capital in any of its businesses. In other words, the market currently is ascribing negative value to your non-MI businesses. A pretty astonishing statement. And I don't get any sense of urgency from this management team as to how this is all going to be addressed. To keep going down the current road seems to me a complete waste of time. Clearly, the best use of capital for this company is to buy back stock when it is at a discount, a four, less than 40% of book value. The ROE on that activity is multiple higher than any new business you can write. So it seems to me we can go down a couple of roads. Number one, you could shut down businesses and use resulting excess capital to buy back stock, or you can give us a roadmap and a time schedule, which we're going to hold you to, as to when each of your businesses will achieve at least its cost of capital. I want you to understand that my patience, that the patience of your shareholders is not infinite, and my patience is just about done. And I'd like a response to my comments. And one other thing, at the beginning of this conference call, Mr. Frazier said that they might do bolt-on uh, acquisitions. Do not do that. Your stock is selling at less than 40% of book value. You do a bolt-on acquisition, and I will wage a proxy battle immediately to throw you out of here. And I like a response. <laughs> now I'd like a response. I love it because it's just such a typical, like, incompetent, and I don't know much about Genworth Financial, but all you need to know is if the stock is trading under its book value that the idea of bolt-on acquisitions is just ridiculous. And <clears throat> he calls them out. You know, it's a very basic thing. Do not do that! So that, I just wanted to share that with you. But anyway, so Eisman marches into the ratings agencies during the uh, housing crisis, supposedly, and tells them that they're all whores. And they are. They're all whores for the big banks. Well, here's Fitch coming out and breaking from the status quo, right? Fitch came out and downgraded the U.S., and I'm just going to read you a tiny little snippet here from, of all places, NPR. God help us. Uh, but they actually, the take here actually isn't that bad. Fitch cut U.S. debt by one notch from AAA to AA+, partly in response to how the federal government handled the debt crisis two months ago. That move mirrored a similar downgrade by S&P in 2011. But Fitch also cited alarm over the country's deteriorating finances and expressed major doubts about the government's ability to tackle the growing debt burden because of the sharp political divisions exemplified by the brinksmanship over the debt ceiling that brought the government close to a disastrous default. So it's not just what happened with S&P where they cut us based on the debt ceiling issue, it is a larger issue. Fitch thinks that the U.S. is just not going to be able to handle their debt load at some point, which is, of course, catnip to fucking Austrian economists, because this is what we have been saying forever, that this scheme that we're running is a mathematical impossibility over a long enough period of time, and eventually something is going to have to give. And so here is Fitch breaking from the status quo, and putting it out there, okay, which I give them immense credit for. I think that they are the first ones to get it right. And the fact that they had the 
audacity to go out and do that while, you know, they knew it was going to send shockwaves, right? Because the U.S. is the world's biggest superpower and supposedly we lead the way with the global economy and the dollar is the king. And so, of course, this would reverberate and it is a consequential move by them. But for some reason, they've decided to say, we want to be ahead of the curve before the shit hits the fan. And for that, I commend them. Now, I also want to read what came out yesterday where Fitch warned that the U.S. banking industry has inched closer to another source of turbulence, the risk of sweeping rating downgrades on dozens of U.S. banks that could even include the likes of J.P. Morgan Chase. Okay, so this is from CNBC. Fitch cut its assessment of the industry's health in June, a move that analyst Chris Wolf said went largely unnoticed because it didn't trigger downgrades on banks. But another one-notch downgrade of the industry score from A-plus to AA- would force Fitch to reevaluate ratings on each of the more than 70 U.S. banks that it covers. This is what the analyst said to CNBC. If we were to move it to A-plus, then that would recalibrate all of our financial measures and would probably translate into negative rating actions. Okay, so what is going on here? Fitch just downgraded the country, right? It just downgraded our sovereign debt. And now it's coming out and saying there's a possibility of us downgrading uh, one or all or some of 70 U.S. banks that we cover. Folks, this is what an early warning signal looks like. I mean, it's not that early. We've been screaming about this for years, the way that you know the country has been mismanaged financially and through monetary policy. But over the last few years, it has really, it has really become obvious with what we did during COVID, with papering over the economy, with increasing the money supply 40%, the country's debt to GDP going through the roof. All the while, financial assets seem to be holding up, and so nobody wants to make any type of stink about it because stonks, bro. Fucking stonk price, bro. As long as the S&P is over 4,000, as long as the Qs are over 350, as long as Apple doesn't break its long-term trend, fucking stonks, bro. As long as fucking stonks aren't fucking crashing, we don't got to fucking pay attention to no fucking Fitch. That's pretty much the attitude that we saw. So after Fitch comes out and makes this downgrade, you know, look, I am generally disgusted with the financial industry on any given day. The amount of disgust that I feel, it ebbs and flows like the tides being pulled by the moon. Some days I'm so disgusted that I feel like I want to throw up all over my computer screen. Other days I can manage it while I go play pickleball and relax somewhere and drink a beer and I don't think about it. Then there's other days where I come back and I literally want to puke up my own kidneys when I watch CNBC. I can't believe the shit that comes out of the anchor's mouth. And then again, there are other days where I just go out for a run and leave the whole rest of the world behind and just say, if today's the day that the whole thing goes tits up, then today's the day. You know, what can you do? There's control what you can and don't worry about the things you can't control. So the feeling of disgust ebbs and flows, but I can't remember a time in recent memory where I was as disgusted as I was the morning after the Fitch downgrade. And I'll tell you why. Because Fitch's downgrade 
makes sense. It's based on logic. It's based on reason. It's based on fact. And it's based on irrefutable axioms. The fact that our monetary policy remains an unprecedented experiment that we don't know where it's going to wind up, that we are fiscally and monetarily irresponsible. Speaking of which, all of the money we are sending overseas right now, whatever you think about the war, I was just watching this documentary on the Webb Space Telescope on Netflix, and I'm watching this group of like 200 people put together this extraordinary piece of equipment that we're going to punt into outer space and is going to provide us with images of the deepest, darkest parts of the universe that we've never seen before. A product or a service, the likes of which we may have never, you know, needed for real more than this product, right? We are literally looking back in time into the origins and the meanings of life as we know it. In terms of creating a product or a service of use, doesn't really get much better than that as far as I'm concerned. With the exception of those, uh, what are they, ring dings? I love those things. (laughs) Anyways, those are also very good. I support them as well. Um... But the point is, in this documentary, I'm watching this team of 100 or 200 scientists led by this project manager who is trying to get the project done on time and under budget. So they have whatever, $100 million or $150 million allocated to this project. And they are in a squeeze to get it done because they only have so much equipment. And they only have so much time. So I'm watching these stressed out PhDs and these scientists and these astrophysicists so excited about what they're doing, creating something with such meaning, rushing to get it done, rushing to meet the deadline, and squeezing every penny of their budget. People working for free and, you know, taking meticulous care of the equipment. We only have one backup bolt or screw for each part of the thing. We could only make one replica. We don't have enough. And then you get an audit back from the Pentagon and they're like $2 trillion is missing. And we don't know where it is. And you just wonder, why do people get upset about fiscal irresponsibility? Because I'm watching these people... Do something that is going to generate meaning and purpose, the likes of which nobody in Congress is ever going to tap into, no matter how many times Mitch McConnell dons a podium and, you know, gobbles like a turkey about whatever he's talking about that day. These people are doing something that creates actual meaning. They have this really what is a minuscule $150 million budget or whatever it is, and they are taking such delicate care of every dollar. And then meanwhile, we just punt 60 billion overseas and we have no idea where it goes. 60 billion. 60 billion is like 500 of the Webb telescope budgets. If you had just doubled their budget from 150 million, those people could have at least breathed and maybe they could have eaten actual food for lunch instead of skipping meals and working overtime without pay. And so the mismanagement of funds is so ridiculous. This thing with every time they do an audit of the Pentagon, a trillion dollars comes missing. We can't account for it. And everybody's okay with that. Everybody's fine. It gets a small mention on television. 
But then it's just like, well, you know, that's just one of those things. You know, just like somebody misplacing a receipt for a bag of Doritos. We're talking about a trillion fucking dollars. A trillion dollars. Where is it? We don't know. Could be under the couch cushions. Could be anywhere. We're just, it reminds me of a Bill Maher stand-up comedy he did where he was talking about the government's inability to track money. And he said, it's not like we don't know how to do it. He says, have you ever been to a casino? They can, they can somehow get it down to the dollar, to the cent, where every single receipt, every piece of money goes. Have you been to a bank? A bank can get it down to the cent. They know exactly where every cent's going. But a trillion dollars. Gone. And we have no idea where it is. So don't lecture me about fiscal responsibility. Okay, that's the fiscal side of things. You got the fiscal side of things. And you got the monetary side of things. The monetary side of things is running this insane modern monetary theory Ponzi scheme that we think is going to work ad infinitum while we abuse the U.S. dollar like we're riding some type of rented donkey up Mount Everest. And then on the fiscal side of things, once we print all that money irresponsibly and we shuffle it on over to the treasury, we walk it across the street, then it just disappears. Then it disappears. And the motherfuckers making the web telescope can't get an extra fucking set of nuts, bolts, and nails from the Home Depot because they don't have enough money. So Fitch astutely makes the point that we don't seem to be the best at balancing the old checkbook. And look, I don't want to throw stones from glass homes, okay? I'm not great with money. That's why my disclaimer on my blog says I'm a moron and I often lose money at trading. You need to know that, okay? (coughs) Motherfucker. I am choking on the government's incompetence. I'm, I'm trying to swallow the truth, and I'm choking on it. How's that for a nice save of just not being able to breathe without asphyxiating myself? Regardless... Bitch makes the downgrade, and the next morning, the first thing Janet Yellen says is this is an arbitrary downgrade, and it's outdated. It's outdated. Like the national debt number has at some point gone down over the last year, two years, five years. It's done nothing. It looks like a chart of the Dow. Starts in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and goes to the upper right-hand corner of the screen. It's outdated. I don't know, Janet. Our debt to GDP seems to be near or at all-time highs. So how can it be outdated? If they were alarmed a year ago and it was outdated, this downgrade was from a year ago. Things have only gotten worse. It could be outdated in the sense that they didn't downgrade us enough, but it can't be outdated in the sense that things have gotten better because they haven't. She said it's arbitrary. It's arbitrary. Fitch is just getting together and just making shit up is basically what she's saying. And it's not just Janet Yellen. 
It's all of the financial media got together. Everybody on the sell side, every analyst, every major hedge fund manager, every investment professional, Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, all of them, Jeff Gunlock, they all took to Twitter to say, no problem. This is arbitrary. It's no big deal. The best was Melissa Lee and Tim Seymour. Let me see if I can find the clip talking about, ah, well, yeah. Is it arbitrary? And Tim Seymour's like, I, I do think it's arbitrary. You're going to have to forgive the crudity of this sound because there's music playing in the background. This is from a compilation that uh, at Bitcoin News Com, uh, Bitcoin News on Twitter put together where uh, they juxtaposed Melissa Lee and Tim Seymour's take with a video that I posted the day of the downgrade shrieking about what I'm talking about now. But just see if you can listen to Melissa Lee and Tim Seymour. Decades, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen responding to Fitch's downgrade of the U.S.'s credit rating, saying, quote, I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision. The change announced today is arbitrary and based on outdated data. So do you think that that means that Fitch's downgrade is less, uh, I don't know, not trustworthy? It is arbitrary. It's someone giving doing this based upon a view that's not tied to specific metrics. It's somebody doing this based on a view that's not tied to specific metrics. That's exactly what Tim Seymour just said. Like, like, like he can't just pull up a fucking debt to GDP chart. Like, unbelievable. The, it is just sickening the way that we have tried to spin this. But you know what? It's fine. We're just setting ourselves up for a bigger comeuppance that we all know is inevitable and we're going to be able to point back to this stuff. And when people say, where were the fucking warning signals? The day after Fitch downgraded the U.S.'s goddamn debt, you got fucking people on financial news saying it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It is arbitrary. Melissa Lee, do you think it's not trustworthy? Yeah, like Fitch is sitting around a boardroom table saying, how can we get one over on the United States today? You know what we need to do? Piss off the United States. Let's do that. Let's stir some shit up for no reason. That's what the uh, that's what they think the boardroom meeting at Fitch was like. Folks, I got news for you. Fitch just doesn't come out and fucking arbitrarily downgrade the United States if there isn't a reason. And this, everybody making excuses for it, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. You know? Sometimes you just got to take fucking responsibility. Sometimes you just got to say, yeah, the country's out of control. Our spending's out of fucking control. Our monetary policy's out of control. Why is that so hard to say? Why is it so hard to admit? But hey, you know what? Look, we've kept our heads buried in the goddamn sand for the last few decades. Everybody was surprised when the housing crisis happened. Everybody was surprised when the market crashed during COVID. Except for the people that saw COVID was a thing. Except for the people that saw the housing market is not doing well. You know, Eisman in that movie goes out. They go through that neighborhood and they see everybody's got a for sale sign and the strippers got four mortgages. And the real estate agent's like, he bought that for 610. He would let it go for that. And they make that phone call back, like, short at all. It's a bubble. He saw it while the rest of the world, including Ben Bernanke, was saying there's no problem here. And I'm sure whoever the Treasury Secretary at the time was saying the same thing. 
So here we are again. Fitch sounds the alarm. The Austrian economists and the perma bears. Love that. The perma bears. I'm not permanently bearish. I'm permanently tethered to reality. I'm just trying to say what I see and to offer up a dose of reality. Because Tim Seymour taking to television and saying, I, I, I do think it's untrustworthy. Oh, that's not reality. Warren Buffett saying, you know, there's a lot of things to worry about, but this isn't one of them. Oh, it's not? Downgrading the U.S.'s long-term debt is not, that's nothing to worry about. Who's Fitch? Abercrombie and Fitch? Those guys? Surely they're not some rating agency that's been around for decades. Matter of fact, let's just take a look. Let's take a look at Fitch's history, which, by the way, I know nothing about at all. So we're doing this on the fly together, social experiment on the podcast. All right. So Fitch was founded 109 years ago in 1914. Hmm. They might have picked up a couple of things over a century in doing business. They're one of the big three credit rating agencies with Moody's and S&P, which that I actually knew, believe it or not. It is a nationally recognized statistical rating organization by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, and it's based in the United States. And they also have a headquarters in London. So what are they thinking? Let me just torpedo our own business because we're here in the U.S., so maybe if we crash our own economy, we can put ourselves out of business. Is that what they're thinking? No. They're thinking we want to do our job effectively, and we want to get out in front of what is increasingly becoming the obvious to everybody in the world, except for fucking Melissa Lee, and say things look a little shaky in the U.S., and you would be hard-pressed to honestly disagree. I mean, things just do look a little shaky. When the money supply explodes and inflation is out of control and you are about to prick one of the biggest bubbles in history with 5.5% rates and the two sides of government are being bifurcated in a way that they haven't been in a long time. They're the furthest apart that they've been in a long time. And the idea of getting a debt ceiling deal done does look more and more doubtful every time we have to do it, lest we forget why we had a debt ceiling to begin with. Why are we even raising the debt ceiling? That would be enough for me to, you know, issue a downgrade on that, but it's okay. King Dollar will bail us out, right? Lest we forget all of that, they want to get out in front of it, you know? The government puts up all these signs in the airport, if you see something, say something. You know, I saw this fellow passenger in the bathroom and he didn't wash his hands. Call 1-800-HOMELAND SECURITY. If you see something, say something. Well, that's exactly what Fitch is doing. And they rely upon the system in the U.S. just like Warren Buffett does. Buffett is, people say, the best investor in history. He's the best investor for the Keynesian system that we have been party to over the last few decades he's been the best at riding the Keynesian system to success and bailing out distressed companies he is a great investor but if you take out the Keynesian system from underneath him and this America first narrative which conveniently 
runs alongside of his reliance on the U.S. dollar holding up. If you take that out of the equation, is Warren Buffett, is he still Warren Buffett at that point? We don't know. But can you see why it might be in his best interest to come out and say, there's a lot of things to worry about, but this isn't one of them. This isn't one of them. This is one of the largest rating agencies in the world, downgrading the debt of our country. No problem. This is one of the reasons I want to have George Gammon on, too, because he has an explanation for this that differs from mine. So maybe I'm just giving you a one-dimensional analysis of the situation. But, you know, sometimes we don't need to overanalyze things. Sometimes we just need to say, hey, we're having a little bit of problem controlling the amount of debt that we have. Sometimes that's the problem. And then you just got to leave it at that. That's it. The Austrian school says you do what? Well, you tighten your belt when that happens. You spend less and you underconsume and you bring in more in revenue so as to make up for the difference. You don't run larger deficits and not pay attention to your spending and just let trillions go willy-nilly. Where's it going? I don't know. Where'd the money go? I don't know. $60 billion to Zelensky. Here's $60 billion in a fighter jet. Have a wonderful Easter. <sighs> and so the entire industry has beclowned itself with this Fitch fiasco. And it's okay. It's just going to make the comeuppance that much more stark when it does happen. And it'll be more things to point back at and ridicule when we just run out of runway. And I don't know whether it'll be the dollar. I don't know whether it'll be inflationary. I just, I don't know how it's going to be, but we are going to run out of runway. It's like Phil Box said on my last podcast. You know, we're measuring these things in short amount of years. You don't see people talking about how great the uh, Byzantine Empire 500 ETF is because it's gone. Nobody's out there buying the Han Dynasty Index because it's gone. Nobody's out there shuffling through the, uh, the Roman Empire exchange-traded funds. And at some point, that's going to happen to us. It's just a question of when. How many warning signs along the road do we want to ignore? How long can we pretend that reality isn't reality when, in fact, reality is, in fact, reality? How's that for a deep thought? By the way, don't forget to renew your paid subscriptions to my blog where you can get more deep thoughts like that. So while the government and everybody in the industry has embarrassed themselves and humiliated themselves over this incident, last week brought us a new incident, unrelated, this one related to COVID, but still firmly in the camp of the same file, conspiracy theories that are becoming true. That sounded weird years ago, but all of a sudden make a whole lot of sense, because that's what's going to happen with the Fitch thing. Right now, if you buy Fitch's rating and you think, all right, they're justified, you're some anti-American kook. You are a crazy Austrian economist. You haven't studied enough. You don't know enough about economic theory. You don't know that the dollar can't be touched and the United States will always sit in first. Okay, we'll revisit it in a couple of decades and we'll see who was right. But if you don't want to, you know, if we can't score one for the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists there, please allow me to score one again for the quote-unquote conspiracy theorists during COVID. 
who not only were obviously correct about the lab leak, which we now know, but also, guess what happened last week? The Food and Drug Administration came out and in a courtroom setting admitted that it was okay for doctors to prescribe ivermectin for COVID. It admitted in a U.S. court that doctors, quote, do have the authority to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID, end quote. Uh, And I wrote on my blog, by the time this podcast is out, my article free to the public on my blog called The Unforgivable Ivermectin Swindle will be available. So I encourage you to head over to my substack and give it a read. But I wrote that it's an admission that stands at stark odds with a multiple-year campaign to misinform, misalign, and tarnish the reputation of one of the world's most successful drugs, which could have been used to save hundreds of thousands of lives during the pandemic. A lawyer representing the FDA said this month, The FDA is clearly acknowledging that doctors have the authority to prescribe human ivermectin to treat COVID, so they are not interfering with the authority of doctors to prescribe drugs or to practice medicine. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now that millions and millions and millions of doses of this vaccine, of which we have no long-term safety data on, has made its way out, after Pfizer and Moderna CEOs have new yachts, after each country has brought, uh, each company has brought in tens of billions of dollars in new revenue and profit, after all their stocks went to all-time highs, and after we are only now finding out about the side effects to these vaccines that we probably should have known about before that they were administered, only now is there an admission that, hey, We never said don't use ivermectin. This is fucking agitating. And if you haven't been red-pilled yet, let this be your red pill. Because the facts from the beginning were that ivermectin was one of the most widely prescribed drugs for humans of all time. Billions of doses used as an antiparasitic, had antiviral qualities. There was robust clinical data for its use with COVID, CVM, or uh, sorry, C19IVM.com. C19IVM.com is where the clinical trials are. It had success in India where they used it. You had people like Dr. Pierre Corey out there talking about the success he had in giving it to his patients as both a prophylactic, but most importantly, as an early treatment for COVID, alongside of things like hydroxychloroquine, you know, vitamin D, those things. But it was written off in a campaign that maliciously misinformed the public about ivermectin. So the facts are that it's on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. The facts are that it has been administered billions of times to humans over the course of many decades. The facts are that we know the safety profile of ivermectin to be one of the safest drugs out there. It's like on a par with amoxicillin, right? Just a huge breakthrough in medicine, and that's why there was a Nobel Prize awarded for its discovery. So that's how 
good and how safe and how reliable and how familiar of a medicine ivermectin was going into COVID. But all of a sudden, when COVID happened and we were trying to move tens of millions of doses of this vaccine, all of a sudden ivermectin couldn't be trusted. And not only could it not be trusted, but we didn't know about the safety. It was constantly brought up. We don't know if it's safe to prescribe it. It is. It's safe to eat every day, even if you don't need it for anything. That's how safe it is. So the safety profile should have never even been brought up or been a concern. Even if it didn't work for COVID, there was really no reason to discourage people from taking it. But not only did people do that, but they purposely and maliciously juxtaposed it with a veterinary medicine called ivermectin, which is the same thing, but dosed out for horses and for cows to be used as a dewormer. Instead of differentiating the two and saying, hey, there's a human dose and there's a dose for veterinary purposes, it was reported on as though the drug was only used for veterinary purposes. And this is where the disingenuousness and the malice of the media comes in. Okay, the mainstream media, who was sponsored by Pfizer, who was sponsored by Moderna, You've seen those ads, right? Every single article, uh, every single show during the pandemic had a brought to you by Pfizer advertisement next to it. America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. It was everywhere. And what did Pfizer have an interest in doing? In selling vaccines. And how do you sell vaccines? You need to use the emergency use authorization to sell them. And when can you not use the emergency use authorization? When there is another product that has found to be efficacious and can be used in its place, which happened to be ivermectin. And so all of a sudden, all of these clinical studies, and if you look at my blog uh, post, there is a link to a conversation between Pierre Corey and Brett Weinstein where they discuss all of the clinical studies that quote-unquote invalidated ivermectin's use throughout the course of COVID, where they discuss how those studies were flawed, how they were conflicted, but all of a sudden, Pfizer had this interest in making sure that they had the solution to the COVID pandemic and nobody else did. And so they sponsored a ton of mainstream media articles, uh, mainstream media shows rather, and all of a sudden, all of those shows just bang like that had no interest in reporting on anything that Pfizer didn't want them to report on. They're on the take. It's easy. It's the same reason I don't come on the podcast and berate JM Bullion. I love JM Bullion. 
I happen to try to keep my sponsors aligned with things that I use and people that I actually respect. So that makes it easy for me. But they wouldn't be very happy with me if I did that, would they? They probably would pull their sponsorship of the show. So how do you think every single news program in history, and that was like a hundred of them right there, how do you think they felt about the narrative that Pfizer wanted them to perpetuate? And so what did we get? We got a media and government agencies, the FDA too, because they put out a tweet that could not distinguish one ivermectin use from the other clearly. And I write in my blog, instead, these bad actors willingly chose to perpetuate the brazen lie that ivermectin was only horse medicine. But the worst example of this was when Joe Rogan got COVID. And he took ivermectin. And he was doing better after it. He got better in like two or three days. CNN took footage that Rogan posted on his personal Instagram where he's basically telling people I got COVID and I'm taking monoclonal antibodies and ivermectin and they put a filter on it to make him look worse than he did in the actual video. So in the actual video, he looks normal. His face has color to it. He's calm. He's collected. He's talking. When CNN ran the footage back, they ran it with a filter over his face that makes him look like death. His head looks like the ashed end of a cigarette. It's that color gray, like gray and black and charcoal. And so I post those photos on my blog and you can check it out in the piece. But the the coverage of the drug was maliciously and purposefully skewed to present a false narrative to viewers. And in my article, you can see, I got a picture of Don Lemon looking very concerned like Brian Stelter at that World uh, um, fucking World Economic Forum uh, meeting that he he moderated some panel, Brian Stelter, at the uh, World Economic Forum, looking very concerned, this concerned look on his face. You know, what can we do? What, how, how do we stop? How do we stop misinformation? What can we do to help out humanity? Please tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm here. I'm here to be told what to do. You're from the government and you're here to help. <laughs> so there's this photo of Don Lemon looking very concerned with the Chiron on the bottom that says Don's take. Ah, give me Don's take, folks. You know, let me tune into CNN to get Don's take on things. I'm incapable of thinking myself. What's Don's take on the situation? There's fucking couple words I've never said ever before. What's Don Lemon's take on the situation? <laughs> yeah, you know Don Lemon, the guy that pierced his ear on live television on New Year's Eve and couldn't handle his tequila? What does he think about ivermectin? I'd, I'd like to know from him. Don's take. Joe Rogan announces he has COVID, comma, is taking horse dewormer ivermectin. Actually, motherfucker, that's factually inaccurate. He's not taking the horse dewormer ivermectin. He's taking the human drug ivermectin, and it worked. So CNN's coverage of The Rogan incident, but of ivermectin in general, was beyond disingenuous. It was horrifying and really is, in my opinion, unforgivable. It's unforgivable. So for those of you that don't know what happened, 
Uh, Rogan had uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta from CNN on his podcast. And he just called him out on it. He said to Gupta, they lied and said I was taking horse dewormer. And Gupta is forced to admit, you know, if you got a human pill, it shouldn't be called that. And Rogan says, does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied? They outright lied about me taking horse dewormer. And Gupta was forced to admit, well, they shouldn't have said that, you know. But then Don Lemon doubled down. He went back on the air after the Gupta interview, laughed about it with Sanjay Gupta, and denied that CNN lied about his COVID-19 treatment. And as I write in the article, it wasn't just CNN. These were some of the headlines that popped up after the Joe Rogan video. NBC News, the headline was, quote, Joe Rogan says he has COVID, comma, took widely discredited drug ivermectin. Widely discredited. Okay? It's been administered billions of times. It's one of the safest drugs known to man. It's on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. There is a litany of clinical data that supports its use in COVID. C19IVM.com or IVM.org. I can't remember. It's one of the two. And NBC News runs with the headline, took widely discredited drug ivermectin. Not only was it not widely discredited for use in COVID, but it definitely wasn't widely discredited in general. So where the fuck do you get the balls to come off and write something like that? NBC News, sponsored by Pfizer. The Hollywood Reporter runs with the headline, quote, Joe Rogan says he tested positive for COVID-19, comma, takes unproven horse dewormer. No, he didn't. You're wrong. He took the human drug. And unproven is even questionable because, again, there was support. There was clinical data support for its use with COVID. The Guardian Quote, U.S. podcast star Joe Rogan taking deworming drug ivermectin for COVID. Quote, not taking the deworming drug. Taking the human dose of ivermectin. But it wasn't just the media. The FDA, and here we are circling the square of what just happened. Here's what I write. Government agencies also played along with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, even tweeting out, quote, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. With a link to an article called why you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. So the tweet reads as though the FDA only knows about ivermectin as the veterinary medicine, not that it's a human medicine, not that it's, there's any type of human dosage. They're putting it out there as though the only use for ivermectin was for horses. And that's just disingenuous. For a drug that's been around for decades and it's been administered billions of times, it can't be the truth that the FDA only knows about it as horse medicine. 
So this misinformation, in my opinion, goes beyond gross negligence and moves into malice because, in my opinion, it's just clearly lying. And the worst part is these motherfuckers, many of whom, many of whom on the left, who used to be the people that would push back against the pharma industry, they used to be the people that would push back against the billionaires, you know, reaping the benefits from this. And I, I give Bernie Sanders credit because he, he made a post about it. But the people that used to just not, you know, remember all these Vioxx, all these drugs that the pharma industry put out that killed people. The people on the left used to be the biggest skeptics. Now they're taking their goddamn talking points from them. They're doing their bidding. Pierre Corey wrote in 2021, in response to the FDA's tweet, quote, this adds to the incredibly sad and injurious actions taken by health agencies against U.S. citizens. I hope for a historic reckoning someday. I mean, if you want to be righteous when you're pitching the vaccine to people, like I've heard so many people do, it saved millions of lives. Do it for your grandmother. Do it for your neighbors. If you want to sit in the meadow and spray, and you want a virtue signal, Wait until you get a load. Wait until it becomes crystal clear to you the lives that could have potentially been saved A, from use of ivermectin in very early stage COVID and B, and this one may still be borne out going forward but what would have happened if ivermectin had inhibited Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, from getting the vaccines on the market. All right, so now I guess, look, the consensus is like the vaccines are a good thing. Right now, general public consensus, and I'm not talking about us freaks of nature here with our tinfoil hats on, but let's just talk about Joe American out there. Maybe 60, 70, 80% of the country agrees that the vaccines do, you know, did more good than harm. But God help the mental malfunction and the blue screen of death that will take place in people's heads if public sentiment starts to shift and if we start to find out things about these vaccines and more specifically the delivery system of the vaccines that we don't want to know. And if we ever have to look back with critical eyes on what just happened and it sinks in, with the same people eager to get up on the podium or sit out in the meadow and spray about how virtuous their vaccine advocacy was, if it ever sinks in with them, that perhaps inhibiting the vaccines from getting to market could have been a good idea. And on top of that, you know, maybe even if they just held it off until safety studies were done or real clinical trials were done. But on top of that, if it turns out that evidence comes to light that things like hydroxychloroquine or just how about losing weight, those types of things have more efficacy on COVID than the vaccines, which now you got to take three, four, five, six. How many times are you boosted? Dr. Peter Hotez, 22 needles in each arm. I'm 30 pounds overweight. I eat Shake Shack every day. And I've got 52 vaccinations in me and I've been boosted 162 trillion times. Who needs a diet and exercise when I can just keep jamming this needle in my arm? If we look back 
and we realize that that may not have been the way to go. Ooh, that's going to be an interesting day of reckoning if that happens. That could be close to the day of reckoning that Dr. Pierre Corey is talking about. So the point of my article is, and by the way, I was talking about Bernie Sanders. I want to give him some credit because his website published the numbers from the pharma industry. And what was the motivation behind it all? 50 pharmaceutical executives at 10 companies made $1.9 billion in 2021 and could receive $2.8 billion in golden parachutes. 10 pharmaceutical CEOs could receive $1.6 billion in golden parachutes while Americans struggle to afford life-saving drugs. 10 pharmaceutical companies made $102 billion in profits in 2021 a 137% increase from 2020. So that means it was as a result of the pandemic. Now, you know me, and I'm not against people making money. I'm not against profit. I am a capitalist. I'm not against pharma companies turning a profit. But I'm against the wool being pulled over the eyes of the American public under the guise that for some reason, if we ask critical questions... That we're the fucking problem. I don't care. Stefan Bancel wants to buy another yacht. The CEO of Moderna. Fine. That's his prerogative. They make $102 billion. The government's fucking dumb enough to give these companies $102 billion. That's a whole other discussion for a whole other day. Let's not even talk about that. But don't turn around and tell the people... That over the course of the last two years, we're making very common sense, reasoned observations that there's something wrong with us, that our brains aren't working the right way. Because when a mysterious virus pops up 62 feet from a level four biolab where they're working on coronaviruses, and you make the suggestion that perhaps it came from a lab, and here's some things we should look at. And you get kicked off of social media or banned from your payment platform that you use or have your website shut down or the government issues a notice that you're some kind of conspiracy theorist for doing what? For connecting the two fucking closest dots in history that a four-year-old could have put together? That's an insult. And that's what I have a problem with. And that's what's unforgivable. When you fucking kick my shit off YouTube because you don't like what I'm saying... And I'm trying to be honest and ask honest questions. And I admit, not everything's a conspiracy theory. I don't get everything right. Maybe I get 10% of things right. Most things, the main narrative is turns out to be the truth. But don't try to stop us from asking well-reasoned questions that affect everybody. Because we want what everybody else wants, which is just the best for our family, for our friends, for our country, for our state, for our municipality. We just want good things. Mazel, mazel, good things. (laughs) That's all we want. We don't have some nefarious intentions. We're not trying to upend the system. I love the United States. I love where I live. I love this country. But don't turn around and tell me that there's something wrong with me. And then kick me off social media where I spent 10 years trying to put together a following so I can make, you know, $6 from podcast advertisements so I can turn around and eat a Butterfinger candy bar one day a week. Don't tell me that I've got it wrong 
And then don't kick me off social media for that. Have some fucking balls. It's like this thing with the Fitch downgrade. Just admit, hey man, the country may not be in as good a shape as we'd like to see, but we can get it better. Here's some steps we can take. But have some fucking balls to admit it. Have have 1% of a spine. And that's why the ivermectin thing, the FDA coming out now and just cavalierly admitting, well, we never said that doctors couldn't prescribe it. Fuck you. Fuck you. Maybe Fitch is just issuing a downgrade for no reason. Fuck you too. Have half a spine. I'm so sick of fucking people not taking personal responsibility. Not taking accountability. You know, I got a lot of problems. There's a lot of things about myself I don't like. And I do a lot of things poorly. And I'll talk to you about any of them. I'm not afraid of the fact that I suck at some shit. And that I do things wrong and that I fuck up and that I make mistakes. Why is it so hard for us to just do the right thing sometimes and admit that? You know, the purpose of the article on my Substack was just to set the record straight. If there was ever any doubt in your head with the ivermectin thing, Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca wanted to sell their experimental vaccines in the absence of long-term safety data. Fact. They couldn't do it under the emergency use authorization if ivermectin and other early treatments were found to have efficacy. Fact. Ergo, the media, sponsored by those same pharma companies, launched a malicious misinformation campaign in the face of demonstrable proof of both efficacy and safety for ivermectin. Fact. This campaign knowingly mislabeled a drug with a decades-long history of success in humans as horse medicine. Fact. As this took place, additional rigged clinical studies, many of which with significant conflicts, tried to paint a picture of ivermectin not being efficacious through dishonest means or not being safe. Fact. From there, the powers that be worked with social media to stifle and censor anyone who raised critical questions or told the inconvenient truth in the midst of the pandemic. Not inconvenient for us, inconvenient for the pharma companies. Fact. And finally, after all that damage was done, and only now, the FDA in court casually and cavalierly admits doctors, quote, do have the authority to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID. COVID. Fact. So if your eyes aren't open after that, I don't know what's going to open them. Fitch has been around 100 years. They're one of the most preeminent rating agencies in the world. Fact. Everybody got pissed off at the rating agencies for not acting quick enough going into the housing crisis. Fact. Fitch is ahead of the curve in identifying a problem monetarily and fiscally and politically in the United States that nobody wants to address because it affects the status quo and the electability of elected officials. Fact. Our debt to GDP is the highest it's been in recent memory. Fact. Our money supply is at or near all-time highs. Fact. We are currently having a problem in dealing with inflation. Fact. The dollar is being challenged on the world stage by the BRICS nations who were talking about a gold-backed currency. Fact. 
And the best we can do is roll out everybody in the financial industry to say this was arbitrary, came out of nowhere, it was outdated, and it means nothing. Give me a fucking break. You know? Hey, keep it up. Because my listenership's going to grow. Even for the squares. Even for the straights. You know, Ray, you're scaring the straights. Even for the people that are eager to buy the narrative. They might be pushing it a little bit too far. And if if the ivermectin thing and the Fitch rating thing doesn't open your eyes, I don't know what's going to do it. I had to get all that shit off my chest. I, uh... I got more to say, but I'm going to put it down in another podcast. I want to thank J.M. Bullion, George Gammon, Sang Lucci, and Wall Street Jesus for continuing to support me. These motherfuckers have been riding with me for years. And I appreciate you guys. That's what loyalty is like. And I love it. And I will show you the same loyalty. And I believe in you. And I believe in your products. And I like you as human beings. And I hope my listeners head over to see you. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol?